Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. get to open God's word this morning. We get to hear about the story of Jesus raising up out of that grave. And so uh, turn with me now to God's word. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Amy. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh, and uh, it's a joy to gather with you here uh, at Carl Rhodes, first uh, Easter Sunday as uh, the pastor here. Um, So if you're new here, so am I. We can be be new together. as I was thinking about uh, Easter and the resurrection, a story from my time growing up in this church came to mind. It was like middle school or high school, <clears throat> and it was uh, a time when uh, we were doing this thing in Wednesday night clubs where it was like Church Olympics or something like that, where we broke into teams and we'd have these different events and we'd, uh, we'd send out a representative of our, of our team to, to c- compete and try to win. And... One of the competitions was a gospel sharing competition. And I, back then I was a, uh, what, what you would call a talker. 
And so I was uh, nominated by my team to go and talk for us. And uh, I didn't go first. The first guy went up there, uh, I don't remember who it was, and got through it, but kind of stumbled a little bit. And I was like, oh, I got this in the bag. So I start sharing, sharing the gospel uh, with a lot of pride, trying to win all the great ways to share the gospel. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I started, started the, you know, the, the pitch. You know, God created everything in perfect harmony with himself and with nature. But then humans rebelled against God's reign and rule and rejected him and sin broke the whole world and we're cut off from God in our sin uh, and the wages of sin is death. So now humans die apart from God. But God sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and die in our place, so, taking the penalty for sin so that we could be forgiven. Mic drop. Sit down. Wait for my 10 out of 10 score. And I didn't win. The, it turns out the other guy who was like stumbling over his, his words won. And I was kind of shell-shocked, and some of you might remember Jared Trumbo, he looked at me and said, Josh, you left out the resurrection of the gospel presentation. And all I could do was kind of blink and uh, try not to forget the gospel ever since. But I, but I tell that story because I think uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, for some of us, depending on you know, your experience or whatever can, can kind of be an afterthought of the gospel. Like the important thing is that he died and then we lose sight of the resurrect, resurrection or it's just kind of like a bonus. But the truth is that the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. Without Easter, without the resurrection, we should probably just turn the lights off and go buy a boat, do something else more fun on Sunday morning. Paul himself said, in the scriptures that if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then we as his followers are to be pitied above all people. So let me just pray for us real briefly that we are, the Holy Spirit would just open our hearts to see the resurrected Savior in a fresh way. Father, we come before you on this beautiful Easter Sunday. Uh, my heart is full, singing with your people, just rejoicing in this glorious truth that death did not have the final word. And Father, would you hold us wherever we're at? Uh, we come in hurting, we come in confused, we come in just numb to life. Uh, would you meet us with the good news that Jesus is alive, that his death on the cross was redeemed, he was victorious, and that you'd form us in, in, in this story of, of crucifixion and resurrection for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine with me you're fighting in a war and there's a moment where six enemy soldiers are bearing down on you and you look down and your rifle's jammed, you're out of grenades, your foot is caught in barbed wire. You have no hope. The enemy are either gonna kill you or take you to be a prisoner of war. And at the last minute, your buddy, busts out of nowhere, fully loaded, with, throws grenades and handles the enemy. But he turns around and collapses because he's been shot several times. And with his last breaths, as his lungs fill with blood, he says, live a good and honorable life. And then he dies. He sacrificed his life for you. You were helpless, about to be destroyed, and he gave his life for you. And he gave you some parting commands to live a good life. And so you live in memory of the one who gave his life for you. But here's a question. 
You can, could you have a relationship with that guy? After he's made the sacrifice, is he there for you? Can you know him? His sacrifice is, is a one and done. And now you are alive and to some degree burdened and obligated to honor him, to live up to his memory. But then what happens when you mess up? What happens you lose your temper and yell at your kids or make a bad financial decision or get stuck in a dumpy job, just living a normal life that, you know, just, is this worth it? Is this what he wants? Is this enough? You know, did, did, I, did I live up to the sacrifice? There's a, there'd be a weight to the guy's sacrifice. And with the fact that all of us are broken people and unable to fully live good and honorable lives by ourselves, I, I would guess, you know, in this thought experiment, you know, our lives would be marked by guilt, feeling worthless because this guy gave his life and I just can't keep from messing up. And I wonder if this dynamic doesn't play out in the church and church people. We know that Jesus gave his life. We believe he died for us. We had no hope of rescue. He faced the wages of sin and he does call us to, to follow him, to live, to love God, love others but we keep messing up. We don't do enough. We don't pray enough. We don't read our Bibles enough. We don't tell people about him ever. And often what happens, we pick one of two paths that you see in the story of the prodigal son. The younger brother in the story, he just rejects everything and goes and wiles out, just does whatever he wants. Tired of the burden of trying to pay pay back the sacrifice. Or the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, we might try to stay and work super hard doing everything we think we should do. But if, that, if what we do is done out of guilt or a burden, that can make us bitter and self-righteous. People that are stressed and busy and frazzled. And So today on Easter Sunday, I wanna consider how the resurrection of Jesus changes our lived experience of life. The question for us today is just to consider in your own life, do, is your real lived experience of Jesus as alive or dead? Is he the, do you relate to Jesus the way you would relate to this long dead honorable war hero? Or is your Jesus the risen king who speaks peace over your life? the risen king who promised that he would never leave you or forsake you and be with you until the end of the age. And the cry of my heart this morning is that the lofty splendor and beauty of the resurrection would come home to all of us this morning and, and the emotions that we all struggle with, that we'd see Jesus risen from the dead and seeing us in our emotion, experiencing the peace of his presence. We're gonna look at three emotions. We're gonna look at anxiety, fear, and doubt. First, we're gonna look at Mary, the, the, the passage that Amy just read for us. Mary Magdalene uh, was struggling with anxiety. To recap, she went to the tomb, saw the stone was rolled away, freaked out, told Peter and John, and they ran and took a look at the tomb and they all went home, but Mary was still around weeping. Look at verse 11, John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she went, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Mary is a fascinating person in the scriptures and the story of Jesus. She's a woman with a sketchy background. Most scholars think that she was a former prostitute. She was called Mary Magdalene because she was from the city of Magdala, which was like a resort town. It was like what happens in Magdala stays in Magdala. It was kind of like a Las Vegas type anything goes uh, resort town. And in Luke 8, it says that she had seven demons cast out of her. So before she met Jesus, she's about as far as she, you could get from God. Uh, but it's beautiful that Jesus called her. That's another sermon. She'd been with Jesus a long time. She'd seen him raise people from the dead, feed 5,000, all this stuff. But when she sees the tomb, she's anxious and upset. She's in like, Mary will handle it mode. Do you ever get in that mode? She's completely oblivious to the fact that angels are sitting there. And she's just like, I don't know where he is. I gotta know, where is he? And she didn't even recognize Jesus. It's just so fascinating to chew on what is happening here with Mary in the text. Because she is clearly still on team Jesus. Like she loves him. Uh, she supports him. She's concerned about what's going on. She didn't desert Jesus in his trial and crucifixion. But consider how she's interacting with the angels and Jesus himself in her frazzled anxiety. Just tell me where he is. I, I don't know where he is. And I'm not trying to rag on Mary because I think her emotional experience is common to, to me, to a lot of us. We, we love Jesus, we're on his team, but in our anxiety and confusion, we miss him because our eyes are all looking around on how we have to handle it ourselves. Mary's not in a calm, receptive place, like curious about like, oh, the, the tomb is empty. Like what's going on there? What, maybe there's something good. She's spinning and thinking more about what she can do. Do you see the difference? There's, there's a, a self-centeredness in anxiety that, that can blind us to good, that can blind us to the glory of God. If Jesus is our dead, valiant, war hero kind of person, then it is on us. We have to handle it. We, we have to figure out how to live up to it. Jesus gave his life to me, life for me, so now I have to do my part. But look what happens next. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, what was the resurrected king's life-changing word to her? It was her name. Jesus says her name. The tender call of Jesus that pierces through Mary's anxiety is her name. She apparently quits stressing and presumably bear hugs Jesus because he has to tell her to, to not hold on to him. And I love this, but I hope, I hope you can see the beauty of this moment, how different this is than the far off, honorable, war hero kind of Jesus. That the risen Jesus says your name. He knows you. He's not a tragic hero, but he's alive and speaks your name. He knows you, the good, the bad, the ugly. He knew all of Mary's back. Uh, sketchy past, prostitution, demonic activity. When Jesus calls you, it often isn't an elaborate, compelling argument. It's simply your name. You feel seen and heard by the resurrected king. 
I experienced this in college in a pretty intense way where after growing up in church, doing all the church things, I, I was on Team Jesus, but I was still trying to handle my life on my own terms. I had this plan to become a doctor where I would not need anything from God or Jesus. I could be on his team and serve him, but I wouldn't need to depend on him for, for money or people to like me or to know that I was making a difference. And, but as I saw more fully the depth of my sin, I heard Jesus say my name. <laughs> I heard him say, Josh, this is why I died for you. Not generally, abstractly, theologically, I died for you. And that experience of the risen Jesus changed my life like it changed Mary. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God in your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now the living Jesus calls us out of ourselves, out of our kind of like navel gazing anxiety uh, and calls us to himself, to his person in a relationship, in a bear hug, if you will. And then he sends us out to tell others. And I really wrestled with this part of the passage this week. Like why does Jesus tell her not to cling. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? I feel like I use that language all the time around church, like stay tight to Jesus, cling to Jesus. Well, here's what I got as I studied and chewed on it. First, two things. First, consider the mind-blowing intimacy and tenderness of the message that Jesus gives Mary to, to share. It's go to my brother's. He's calling the disciples his brothers. And he says, I'm ascending to my father and your God, my God and your God. Jesus is showing what he accomplished on the cross, that now in him, we are sons and daughters of Yahweh, the most high God. And Jesus' death for our sins, his victory over death in the resurrection, we're now united with Jesus in the, the, the Trinitarian community of love that Jesus himself experiences. It's incredible good news. And that brings me to the second thing is that the joy that Mary experiences as she hears the, the resurrected king say her name and hugs him is only fully experienced if it's passed on to other people. God has wired us as humans to be natural evangelists. And I know just saying the E word makes you kind of like shudder a little bit, evangelism. But I, if you think about it, deep in what it means to be a human is the urge to share our delight, share our joy. You know, ask a grandma about her grandkids. Or I once worked at a super pretentious hipster coffee shop and the manager's business card literally said coffee evangelist. That was his like self-appointed title. It was like, shop manager, coffee evangelist, because he lived and loved to tell people about the joy of single origin pour overs. And so we can consider your, your Christian experience. Is Jesus more like a war hero living, leaving you to anxiously live up to his memory? Or have you heard him pierce your anxiety by saying your name? And begin that process of in his peace, in his presence, transforming you from stress, self-conscious person to, to, to joyfully running to others with this good news. Next, our king speaks to fear. Look with me at John 20, verse 19. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So the disciples are locked in a room afraid. It's a messy situation because Jesus, he was executed functionally as a terrorist, by the, as an enemy of the state uh, by the Roman Empire. And the execution, if you remember the story, was instigated by the religious rulers of the day. So both of the two primary power structures of this day and age were, you know, colluded to kill Jesus. So Jesus' followers are probably pretty smart to be afraid of these power structures. Like, would they be hunted down by the Romans or the Jews and be crucified themselves? And plus, we see throughout the Gospels that uh, his disciples at this point didn't fully get what Jesus was doing, what kind of Messiah Jesus was. The biblical concept of a Messiah coming to rescue God's people had kind of been hijacked and integrated into this hope of political freedom from the Roman uh, Empire and their oppression. And so I would imagine these people are terrified how this person they'd seen raise multiple others from the dead would allow himself to be killed by the very forces that he was supposed to overthrow. And what's going to happen to them? How are they going to live? They left their families and their jobs and everything to follow Jesus. And the question to you and I, what are you afraid of? What fears would keep you, keep you behind a locked door, hiding from life? Fear is an isolating force. It keeps us closed off, hunkered down. What part of your life is, is stuck in fear? Jesus' response to the disciples' fear is what? Peace be with you. I love this. Jesus alive, standing in the room with a bunch of terrified disciples and saying, peace be with you. The king draws near to us in our fear and speaks peace over us. And I just want to consider the weight that those words have coming from a resurrected king. When he says, peace be with you. It's it's like if you're struggling to pay bills uh, one month and your four-year-old comes with a penny bank and says, oh, don't, Peace be with you, Dad. Dad, here's some money to help with bills. It's heart melting, but it, it, it's not going to help. Thanks, kid. It's not going to help. I gave you that money anyways. It's already mine, you know. But if Warren Buffett walks in and says, I got you, peace be with you. Warren Buffett probably doesn't say I got you. He's an old guy. But uh, yeah, peace be with you. And he, and he gives you a blank check. Say, whatever you need, just take care of it. He, that, that carries weight. And Jesus, as the resurrected king, conquering dead, con- conquering death and sin, can say, peace be with you and really mean it. Because as a conquering hero over death, death doesn't have the final word. Anyone here afraid of death? Anyone here afraid of other people's opinions of you? The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If God is for you, what can man do to you? Honestly, this is what the Holy Spirit convicted me of uh, this morning. uh, Because to be honest with you, I was feeling a little insecure about this morning. Easter Sunday is like the Super Bowl of church. And I was like, there's just no way that I can like live up to the hype, live up to the expectation uh, and put a new spin on a story everybody's heard before. It was kind of, you know, I I was afraid 
And so this morning, it was, it was sweet to hear Jesus say once again to me, peace be with you. And to, to feel the father chuckling over the tragic irony that I was afraid of letting people down as we celebrate the risen king. But look how the disciples respond to Jesus. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Joy is a lightness of soul, a buoyancy of spirit. It's, and it's worth noting that for all of the disciples, many of the things that they were most afraid of, persecution, death, torture, all happened. They, they, all but one were killed for following Jesus. And John, the guy writing our passage today, was the only disciple who lived to be an old man. And church history would tell us that he was boiled alive, but somehow didn't die. And so he was sent to, to prison for the rest of his life. And I, I belabor this point because there's a, a peace that casts out fear and turns it to joy in the presence of a resurrected Savior that transcends terrifying circumstances because there's something more true than the fear. There's something more powerful than the pain. And Jesus does the same thing with the disciples that he did with Mary. He sends them. Look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love how he says, peace be with you again. Like one was to address fear and one, I feel like they're all bouncing off the walls overjoyed. And he's like, no, peace be with you. Like, I gotta, I gotta tell you some things. But this is a beautiful moment where John in his gospel is hyperlinking back to Genesis. Just as at the creation of the world, God formed humans out of the dust of the ground and what? Breathed his life into humanity. Here we see the new humanity and the new creation on the other side of the cross in the resurrection, receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God and new life. And it's so profound that Jesus' sending of the disciples is sandwiched between peace be with you and receive the Holy Spirit. We are not sent alone. We're sent with a blessing, with a benediction of peace. And then we're not sent alone. We're sent with the very presence of God himself and the Holy Spirit. The peace of God and the presence of God can't be fully experienced unless we enter into the sent life. I don't know if that's a term. I kind of want to put it on a shirt, that sent life that Jesus has commissioned all of his followers to live as we spend ourselves when we enter the broken world in the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father and entered the broken world, we experience a peace that surpasses all understanding and a joy of seeing the Spirit do in us and through us what only he can do. Camille and I have done some foster care in the past, and it was, you know, one of the hardest things we've ever done, but it was also the time where we felt most, pass, most powerfully the peace that surpasses understanding, that transcends circumstances, and felt the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of things, mostly in our own souls, as he gave us deeper wells of love to love the kids well, and the caseworkers, and the kids' parents, and all that stuff. Dead war hero Jesus might send us into life with some sense of of living up to a sacrifice, but the living King Jesus speaks peace and then promises his very spirit to be with us. 
I just want to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind in, in you right now? What fear is he bringing to mind that's keeping you locked in a room away from joy? Lastly, we see the risen king speaking to doubt. Look at verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas had heard of Jesus' resurrection, but was not going to be played a fool. He wasn't going to humiliate himself to believe something so fantastical. He had doubts and he had conditions and he would not budge which makes it significant that when Thomas meets the living Jesus, what happens? Verse 26, a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus knows Thomas's conditions uh, and that, that he, his doubts have things he's looking for. And, he, and I love it that Jesus offers to meet them. He doesn't like rebuke him or whatever. He's just like, here, here it is, here are the holes. All throughout scripture, God is so tender towards human doubt. If you're here today struggling with doubt, just unsure of what to make of God and scripture, maybe you've experienced pain and suffering that is just hard to reconcile with a good and loving God, uh, God is with you in that. He moves towards you. He's not mad at you for feeling that way. And Thomas sees Jesus, the risen king, and all of a sudden his doubts were obliterated. His conditions were gone. As, as far as we can tell from the text, he doesn't actually take the opportunity to, to touch the holes. He just immediately cries out in surrender and submission, my Lord and my God. When we see the risen Jesus, our small petty doubts and conditions are obliterated. I hear it over and over and over again, where people are wrestling with Christianity, struggling to wrap it all together and really believe. And then bam, they see Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in their hearts and they say, my Lord, and my God, not because all the questions were answered, they still have stuff to work through, still things to wrestle with, but they have seen the risen Lord. The living Jesus is Lord. Both Mary and Thomas call him that, the Lord. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is a crucial part of the Christian life that goes hand in hand with the resurrection, where you hear about Jesus the Savior a lot, and yes and amen to what his work on the cross uh, but because we can minimize the resurrection, we often minimize his kingship, his lordship, that he is the victorious king. But because we'll never fully understand everything about life, everything about the intricacies of the human soul, everything about the scriptures, it will require us to say in faith, Jesus is Lord. We can say that my Lord and my God and follow him even from a place of incomplete total understanding because if that were the requirement, then we should all probably walk away. Look at Jesus's final words here, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen and yet believed. 
If you're here today and you believe, hear the, the blessing from your king. He's blessing you right now. You, unless you're very old and have seen Jesus, uh, in which case, come talk to me. Uh, most of us haven't seen the resurrected Jesus. So hear this blessing. And the word blessed that Jesus uses here is this big, beautiful, rich word and throughout the scriptures that means, means happy, it means flourishing, thriving. Again, not without suffering or pain, but there's a blessing, a thriving that can happen in God's presence, even in the midst of suffering and pain. To say it another way, to quote the classic campfire song, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm using trust because in, in English, the way we use English in our day and age, trust is probably closer to what Jesus is getting at with this word believe. Believe is more than just like mental agreement or assent, like I believe the earth is round and, or, or, or whatever, that gravity is real. Trust is a relational concept. Think of it like a, a trust fall into real arms that will either catch you or you'll smash your head on the ground. And trust being relational means we need a living savior. Uh, we must really behold the living savior as the risen king. And so the invitation I, I wanna offer to you today, something I've, I've been noodling on this week is just to set the risen king before our minds, like in real practical ways throughout our days and week. In our anxiety and our fear, I think it's worth asking the question. If you, if you struggle with any of those emotions, uh, anxiety, fear, and doubt, it's worth asking the question, to what degree does Jesus as the resur resurrected king fill our minds? One of the most powerful and underrated parts of being a human, of humanity, is that we have the ability to choose what we give our attention to. I feel like Christians are super late to the game to this truth where Silicon Valley is paying smart people insane money on figuring out how to get our attention with phones and Apple watches dinging and all, all that stuff. I just want to consider the, the pie chart, the pie chart of your attention that Jesus gets, not as a guilt mongering thing or like try harder or do better, but just consider the impact on your emotional state. If you're filled with scary news or money problems or the resurrected victorious King who says, peace be with you. Paul says in Philippians four, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so I just want to invite you to, to work in rhythms of your days and weeks that put Jesus before you, looking at you and whatever you're feeling, pouring out your heart to him and whatever you're feeling and asking him to be with you because he's alive, because he's the risen king. And he offers us the Holy Spirit and real practically, if you're visiting with us, if you're new here, the, the, what I'm talking about makes almost no sense. It'd be like, what, putting Jesus before my mind? Like, what does that mean? I just invite you just to jump in to life with us here as a church family. Come back next week. We're preaching through the gospel of Mark and we're just beholding Jesus every Sunday, soaking in who he is and what he did. And the scripture promises that the God of peace will be with you as we, as we soak in, who, in the, the, the true story of who Jesus is, the joy he offers us. Because listen, friend, Jesus is alive and, and the living risen savior moves towards you. He loves you. He died for you. 
and he rose again, he can be, he can be with him in his presence and he sends you. That might sound exhausting, but hear the meaning and purpose and significance that comes from knowing that God looks at you and sends you with good news, with messages of hope and healing to a lost and dying world. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we come before you just rejoicing in our risen King, rejoicing that death did not have the last word, rejoicing that suffering and pain, that tears are not the final moment, but that someday our risen King will return, will make all things new, will wipe away every tear from every eye. And Father, I pray that you would today, by the power of your spirit, be calling us into this resurrected life, that we'd be living with our resurrected King in joy and peace, uh, trusting him, pouring out our hearts to him. I pray, Father, folks here struggling with anxiety, fear, or doubt, they would feel just incredible permission and freedom uh, to, to unfiltered pour that out to you, to trust fall into your loving arms with whatever they're feeling. And Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you make the reality that Jesus moved towards us and speaks peace over our lives real to us today? Father, I pray for us to be sent uh, with joy, sharing our delight in Jesus. Bring to mind now someone that we know in our days and weeks that we could share this good news with. Give us the joy of seeing you work in us and through us. For your glory and our joy, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.